Remember, remember, the 5th of November. For that's the day the 455th edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement was published primarily through an email newsletter, but possible through a mobile application. I'm your host, Sean Tubbs, and if I could summon one famous intellectual from the 20th century, it might be Marshall McLuhan, so I could ask, what happens when the message comes through many media? Either way, or multiple ways, let's get on with the program. On today's show, the federal government reports more jobs were added to the economy in October, but so too did unemployment claims. Albemarle supervisors are briefed on the spending of affordable housing and agree to pay $200,000 to keep an emergency homeless shelter open through the end of next April. Epidemiologists continue to keep an eye on new COVID strains. At the same time, flu and RSV are both on the rise. And the two candidates in Virginia's 5th District answer questions about taxation from the Chambers of Commerce of Charlottesville, Danville. In this first subscriber-supported shout-out, be a hunger hero! Bring an item to the front desk of any JMRL location during business hours between November 7th and November 19th and receive $1 off overdue fines and late renewal fines for each donated item. Some of the most needed items are boxed mac and cheese, pasta and rice whole grain, canned tuna and chicken, paper products, baby food, formula, and diapers. Donations from most branches will go to the Blue Ridge Food Bank, though those in Louisa County will go to the Louisa County Resource Council. For more information, visit jmrl.org. The federal agency that tracks many metrics in order to provide markers of economic activity released two new numbers for October yesterday morning. The Bureau of Labor Statistics announced that non-farm employment increased by 261,000, and the national unemployment rate also increased to 3.7%. Here's a section from the release. Monthly job growth has averaged 407,000 thus far in 2022, compared with 562,000 per month in 2021. In October, notable job gains occurred in healthcare, professional and technical services, and manufacturing. Employment in healthcare increased by 53,000 across the country, with 43,000 new professional and technical service jobs and 32,000 new manufacturing jobs. The unemployment figure is 0.2% above the September figure, for a total of 6.1 million people. This figure has fluctuated in the same basic range since March. The labor participation rate at 62.2% and the employment population ratio at 60% were about unchanged in October and have shown little net change since early this year. The release notes that those figures are below the values from February of 2020, the month before the pandemic. For details on the exact definitions, definitely read the release, which also states that Hurricane Ian did not have an effect on either number. Data on individual states will be released on November 18th. 
In recent years, both Albemarle and Charlottesville have increased the level of funding that goes to pay for initiatives to subsidize the cost of housing for households below certain income levels. Albemarle's housing policy manager provided an update to the Board of Supervisors at their meeting on November 2nd. Here's Dr. Stacy Pethia. Looking at overall funding activity in FY22 and 23, uh, the, the board has approved um, about $11.5 million in funding uh, across many different funding streams. Dr. Pethia said those funds represent around 2,000 households or individuals with help, manifesting in many forms, including contributing to the preservation of existing housing, as well as shelter for victims of domestic violence. All of this stems from the adoption of Housing Albemarle in July 2021 as part of the county's comprehensive plan. About a third of that $11.5 million comes from the Housing Fund Reserve, and there were two additional requests before supervisors on November 2nd. Um, the first is from the Blue Ridge Area Coalition for the Homeless, and that is in the amount of $200,000. Um, and this is to support the continuation of um, emergency shelter services at Premier Circle. Premier Circle is a half-moon-shaped road off of US-29 that contains the former Red Carpet Inn. The Piedmont Housing Alliance bought the 3.7-acre property in March of 2021 for a project involving Virginia's supportive housing to eventually build a total of 140 units on the site, 80 of which would provide support services to residents. During the pandemic, congregate shelters for the homeless were too dangerous, and the existing motel has been used as an emergency option and operated by the group People and Congregations Engaged in Ministry, or POCHM. Those individuals um, experiencing homelessness who have health issues that place them at high risk of complications due to any COVID-19 infection. So this gave them the space to remain safely housed. Albemarle County has contributed 600000 to the emergency shelter initiative so far. Virginia's supportive housing hopes to break ground next spring. But until then, the plan is to keep using the former motel rooms until then. Both Albemarle and Charlottesville have been asked to contribute an additional $200,000 to cover January through April for the 84 residents who are currently there. 81 of those residents have um, housing plans. And in other words, they have a plan to move them into permanent housing. Extending the shelter services through the end of April provides the time to move those individuals into their permanent homes. Supervisor Diantha McKeel asked for more information about what services will be provided to residents. Here's Anthony Harrow, the executive director of the Blue Ridge Coalition for the Homeless. Mainly it's housing-focused case management is the best way to talk about it. Main goal is to try to help people stabilize, provide basic needs, and connection to community resources, whether that's through you know primary care, primary health care, mental health care, um, connection to employment services, financial literacy. I mean, it covers a whole range with the goal of helping someone transition out. Haro said various groups are searching for a permanent year-round shelter, and options are being pursued. He said a stakeholder meeting will be held on December 2nd to discuss funding, but there are no specific sites identified for the public just yet. The second request was from Habitat for Humanity of Greater Charlottesville for $84,000 in matching funds 
for a U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development grant. Um, it would cover the. It would help support the construction of four additional affordable home ownership units. Two of those units would be built in the Lachlan Hills community, and an additional two units would be built in Old Trail. Supervisors approved both requests. The beginning of the holiday season comes with renewed concern about infectious diseases spread through airborne contact. An epidemiologist across the world and at the University of Virginia continued to monitor potential waves of respiratory illness, including COVID-19. Dr. Kosti Safri is the Director of Hospital Epidemiology at UVA Health. What we've seen recently is the emergence of um, a number of different variants. Uh, there are sublineages of, of um, Omicron um, that um, have, for the first time um, now, sort of collectively become larger in terms of proportion of cases than BA5, which was the dominant um, COVID strain um, for, for several months now, for much of summer and, and into here, into the fall. Dr. Sifri said BQ1 and an offshoot of BA11 now make up a quarter of all new COVID strains, but others are also being tracked. I think one common theme with these is that they um, have a level of immune escape compared to the immunity that's been brought on from previous infection due to um, you know one of the earlier COVID um, variants, including um, BA5 and BA4 and BA2 prior to that. And so um, that's reflected in, in um, their relatively increased transmissibility. Dr. Sifri said the question remains what the impact of these new variants will be in terms of severity. He said people should consider getting the relatively new bivalent booster now to avoid a surge. The mathematical modelers, including here, uh, those here at um, the, the UBA's um, Biocomplexity Institute, do sort of have a range of predictions of how, the, how large the impact will be. And it, it really sort of depends sort of exactly on how much that immune escape leads to, to um, um, you know, more transmission and increased infection in communities and, and then how that percolates um, into hospitalization. The latest model was published this week and has several takeaways. Case rates and hospitalizations across the Commonwealth remain low, but early signs suggest that Virginia may be headed into a period of new growth. More than half of health districts are in growth trajectories, including one in surge. Only nine remain in declining trajectories. At least three serious respiratory diseases are spreading in Virginia. In addition to COVID-19, flu levels are high in all regions of Virginia. RSV levels are also high for this time of year in Virginia. These may have a cumulative impact on hospitals and health systems, straining resources. Dr. Sifri said the flu season has begun earlier than usual. This is the time. Uh, again, to get your flu vaccine. It takes a couple weeks for the flu vaccine to have its full effect. Dr. Sifri said there are a lot of challenges with RSV in people under 18 with lots of visits to pediatricians. Here in the medical center, um, we're hearing about a, a lot of um, care needs in the emergency room um, and um, the children's hospital, our pediatric beds are are, um, are typically very um, full and it's been difficult to get um, patients into the hospital. In some cases, older children are being placed in adult beds in order to provide them a space in the hospital.
You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement and in the second subscriber-supported shout-out, the Charlottesville Jazz Society wants you to know about an upcoming series of free concerts by Professor Bill Cole and the Untempered Ensemble. The Untempered Ensemble are artists in residence at the University of Virginia Department of Art and will give three free concerts the week of November 15th. The group includes members of Indigenous American, Asian American, and African American descent. The musicians play a wide variety of wind, string, and percussion instruments from six different continents, offering audiences the opportunity to form a world view of sound. The shows will be Tuesday, November 15th at the Memorial to Enslaved Laborers on UVA grounds, Wednesday at the Jefferson School African American Heritage Center, and Thursday, November 17th at the Dome Room of the Rotunda at UVA grounds. For more information about Professor Cole and the Untempered Ensemble, visit arts.virginia.edu. Three more sleeps until Election Day. As of Thursday, nearly 790,000 Virginians had cast early ballots as of Thursday, a number that is now more than double the 344,594 early votes cast in all of 2018, thanks to the Virginia Public Access Project for providing that data. The main item on the ballot across all of Virginia are elections for the Commonwealth's 11 seats in the U.S. House of Representatives. In the week leading up to November 8th, I've been inserting segments from campaign conversations held with the two candidates in the 5th Congressional District. Both Republican incumbent Bob Good and Democratic challenger Josh Throneberg participated in video interviews conducted by the Charlottesville Regional Chamber of Commerce, the Danville, Pennsylvania Chamber of Commerce, and the Lynchburg Regional Business Alliance. Previous installments were the campaign opening statements as well as a question on national security. Today, three questions related to taxation. There are three questions in all, and they are asked by Ann Moore Sparks, the president and CEO of the Danville, Pennsylvania Chamber of Commerce. Congressman, do you support or oppose raising the corporate tax rate above 21 percent? Absolutely not. Uh, I am hyper anti-tax, quite frankly. We do not have a revenue problem in this country. We have a spending problem. Uh, the spending, I'm sure that we'll talk more about that as we go forward to questions. But I mean, with $31 trillion national debt, the greatest uh, percent of debt relative to our GDP since World War II, it's causing massive inflation, it's bankrupting our future. It is one of the cr most critical threats to our country, certainly fiscally, is our, our national debt and our spending. But we're collecting $4.1 trillion a year in revenue. The Trump Tax Cuts and Job Act of 2017 uh, did what oh, it almost always does when we lower taxes. It almost always increases revenue. And it certainly did that again this time. Uh, we're collecting more revenue than ever. In the meantime, we're trying to hire an additional 87,000 IRS agents to go after regular Americans to increase the number of audits on regular Americans, which are already audited. You know, lower middle income Americans are audited five times the rate of wealthier Americans. There's not enough millionaires and billionaires to keep 87,000 new IRS agents busy. And so they'll be going after regular Americans. And to prove that, by the way, and no, I'm against uh, the raising of the corporate tax rate. But even to prove that as far as they're going to go after regular Americans with the IRS weaponized against citizens, 
as you all may know, with the Inflation Increase Act that was passed, the nearly trillion-dollar spending boondoggle that was passed uh, uh, in August, the Republicans had an amendment to that that you couldn't increase the audits of Americans making less than four hundred thousand because the administration said they're not going to increase taxes of those making less than four hundred thousand, and we couldn't get one Democrat vote, and so that amendment did fail. But I'm absolutely against increasing taxes. We need to cut spending. We can never tax our way. To prosperity. We can never tax our way to fiscal balance. There will never be enough money to do that. Uh, and, and, and we're hurting you know, middle and lower income Americans as it is with our tax structure. Thank you, sir. Now let's hear the response from candidate Josh Throneberg after hearing the question again from Ann Moore Sparks. Do you support or oppose raising the corporate tax rate above 21%? So um, I would I would love to keep it at 21 percent if we can do all that we need to do. Um, I'm, you know, probably where I fit into the whole political spectrum in it. You know, it would go a little bit issue by issue. But um, I mean, I guess a little bit of background just to throw in here. You know, I grew up in a very um, rural, red, conservative, Republican family and community um, in a world where it was just like taxes was the thing. Keep taxes low, keep taxes low, keep taxes low. And I think I'm, you know, there's probably remnants of that. I still have kind of, I, you know, one of the things that's a little different about me, if you ever go to my main web page or something, is I talk about national debt on the first page, which most Democrats maybe don't bring up. But fiscal responsibility is really important to me. It's, uh, I think it's right for us to to make good fiscal decisions. So um, as long as we can pay our bills at 21% and, you know, when we can cover the things that the, the other investments that we want to make, that's fine. Um, I'm, you know, again, my family has a, a large company and we're, we're always trying to figure out how do we, how do we keep those taxes down? And I understand the motivation there. So I would be fine for that at the present. Um, but I also am a common sense candidate. We have to be able to afford the things that we spend. And so if there are, um, you know, if we have to raise taxes in order to afford certain things, uh, let's say we were putting universal health care in and, you know, we needed to raise taxes a little bit to be able to provide coverage for that. Uh, I'm not always going to be tax opposed. But what I really, really want is to um, make good decisions, spend the money that we need to spend and not to not to waste, not to throw money away that we have to raise taxes to pay for. I think there's uh, a, a huge value for me in fiscal responsibility. And then our taxes will obviously be reflective of what our expenses are. I'd love to I'd love to lower 21 to 18 if we could or, you know, if, if we were making great fiscal decisions. But that, you know, we have to have some flexibility in our tax structure. And now the second question from Ann Moore Sparks. Your second question for regulation and taxation, do you support or oppose increasing tax rates on corporations and small businesses as a means for paying for new spending? I probably answered that uh, pretty well on the last question, but, you know, certainly not. You know, what the previous president did in lowering tax rates, you know, 
we, there's a reason why we had such a strong economy over the previous four years and why we have such a weak economy now when it comes to all the spending that's, you know, now we're printing money. The last $2 trillion that we spent of the $6 trillion spent in the name of the China virus uh, caused mass, you know, caused us to have to print. We couldn't even borrow it. We've got this president has $10 trillion in new spending in his first two years, which is far and away a record for any president. Uh, has grown the national debt in two years by $3.4 trillion, far and away the most of any president president in two years. Again, our answer is not to further penalize Americans. We've got massive inflation that's causing them to lose purchasing power with 14% inflation uh, year over year in the past year. We've got obviously the inflation is even worse on the essentials like gas and, and housing and cars and groceries and so forth. So the answer certainly is not to further penalize small businesses who are barely getting by. Think about what this administration has said to businesses. This president and his previous spokesperson, the president of the State of the Union address said to businesses, just lower your costs. Think about how fundamentally uh, out of touch that is for the president to stay in the State of the Union address to tell businesses, just lower your costs. The president doesn't recognize that businesses do two things every day, try to increase the revenue, try to control or lower their costs. And then Jen Psaki, his previous uh, spokesperson, said that if the business passes on its cost increases, its regulatory increase costs or tax increase costs, where just cost of goods and services passes, they shouldn't pass those on to their customers. And this administration, who has almost no business people in the administration, doesn't understand that businesses don't have a printing press in the basement like the federal government to, re to increase revenue. They have to get it from their customers. So I'm certainly not in favor of increasing taxes. Then it was Thronberg's turn. Question number two, do you support or oppose increasing tax rates on corporations and small businesses as a means for paying for new spending? Um, so generally, no, but I will give one caveat to that. Um, I am and, and I'll and I guess I'll again, I, I want to be a flexible thinker and responsive to what realities are, but um, if there are corporations that are are what we call very large carbon polluters um, that are pouring large amounts of carbon into our atmosphere, I am a, a strong believer in climate change and in uh, human activity as a part of climate change. I believe that the costs of this country are going to continue going up and up and up and up in terms of disaster relief. What we see with, you know, fires and all of the all of the incredible increase in costs. And I think that if you are somebody who is um, pushing huge amounts of carbon into our air and exacerbating that issue and increasing the costs to our country, that there should be a, a portion of responsibility that comes with that. So, um, and and I, we, I would be flexible in how we address that uh, from a, a um, you know, whether that was a, a carbon tax or whether it was carbon incentives or whatever it is. I'm, I'm flexible on the solutions, but I do think that if you are causing a substantial part of the problem, that you should also be a part of the solution. And so, um, that would be the one kind of caveat to that. Question number three continued the theme. In your third question, do you support or oppose the implementation of an annual wealth tax? No, absolutely not. I don't think we ought to uh, further penalize uh, prosperity or success. Again, when we lower taxes, it increases growth, development, uh, investment, and the rising tide does lift all boats. And and I certainly, I actually want to cut taxes. Uh, I believe in, a, in, a, in I, I believe in a national sales tax would be best. Quite frankly, I think it's a great time to advocate for that. And we've got the 
the Democrats, again, wanting to increase the, the IRS uh, investment in the IRS, again, double the number of IRS agents. By the way, in that 80 billion that was in the inflation increase um, um, act that was passed back in August with only Democrat votes or virtually uh, almost no Republican votes. Uh, of the 80 billion for the IRS, only 4 billion of that was for services, tax services processing. In other words, the IRS is far behind in processing uh, tax refunds and and, uh, and but yet we've got 45 billion of it was for enforcement. In other words, to go after America, they're estimating that it'll help them collect another 200 billion dollars in taxes on top of the 4.1 trillion they're already collecting. And again, the reason they'll go after lower and middle income Americans who are audited at a far higher rate already is because that's where the numbers are. That's where the money is, because there's more of them or more of us, I should say. And then secondly, middle income Americans and lower income Americans don't have the ability to hire tax lawyers to fight it. So when you get that nasty letter from the IRS saying we found you guilty, you owe money, pay up or else, lower and middle income Americans are going to try to comply and try to pay that. They don't have the ability or the resources to fight that. Um, so uh, thank you very much for that question. And then Thronberg's response. Do you support or oppose the implementation of an annual wealth tax? It depends a little bit on how we're talking about it. So, for example, um, oh, no, this is what I'll say. I, I do not support an annual wealth tax. No, I was going to try to get into all sorts of nuance, but that's probably not super helpful. No, I wouldn't support an annual wealth tax. There will be one more installment of this segment on Monday's edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement. But that's it for this particular installment. And I want to go ahead and say that on Friday, I sent out a message about the Substack app, which now has a chat function. I'm still not sure what that will become exactly, but there are more changes, but there are no changes to how you will receive the newsletter and podcast if you get it through email or if you listen through the podcast thingy. I perhaps should have done more investigation first before I turned that feature on, but I do know that I will likely be phasing out the Twitter account for Town Crier Productions, and I need something to keep people up to date on where the newsletter is. I do know that the next installment of this program will be an edition of the Week Ahead newsletter. It comes out tomorrow. There will also be a new 5th District community engagement, maybe tomorrow, maybe Monday. It's Election Day on Tuesday, and I am hoping to have that one last section from the Chamber of Commerce interviews, as well as more information about Albemarle County and whatever else ends up in the mix. So much information, and these summaries are fueled by paid subscribers. More than one in four of the 1,700 subscribers to this email do in fact chip in with most paying through Substack. It's a great way to support this brand of community journalism, and all proceeds go to that purpose. And of course, internet provider Ting will match your initial payment, whether that be a $5 a month, $50 a year, or $200 a year payment through Substack. You'll get the occasional first look at some content, and you will know that you're helping me write and produce a great amount of material each and every week. And even if you don't sign up for a paid subscription to this newsletter, Ting wants your business. And if you sign up through a link in the newsletter, you will get a free installation, a $75 gift card to the downtown mall, and a second month for free. Just enter the promo code COMMUNITY. More in the near future. Thank you very much for listening, and happy Saturday! Saturday.